the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
of God will come. The glory of God will come. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. We're going to talk about the glory of God, the holiness of God. It will come. Will you experience it? Will you be a part of it? There are conditions to be met. Today, I don't know of any person alive who has experienced this glory of God. Old-timers experienced the glory of God. He came in mighty power. He will come again. Almighty God, I come pleading before your throne today for each person who's listening. I'm asking that your glory and your holiness would once more come to the American church. I ask, Lord, that you would come and we will praise you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The disciples had a very, very difficult time those last days with Jesus. As they made their way one week beforehand to Jerusalem from Galilee, a two-day walk at least, maybe three, he was telling them that he was going to be crucified. And they were holding back, arguing about who would be the greatest. They wanted to be a part of the government of the new kingdom. They wanted seats of authority and power. They still didn't understand. Jesus tried to tell them. Peter got in his face and said, This, this is not going to happen. You are not going to be crucified, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Those awful words, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. The crucifixion was a horrible experience for not only for Jesus, but for those who loved him. Mary, Martha, Mary of Magdala, and of course, many others, but also the disciples, the eleven. After Jesus was in the tomb, they went back to the upper room. They were sleeping there as well as eating, and that was their that was their room. They went to that room, and I'm sure the discussion was very, very ardent and painful and sorrowful. Have we spent all of this time following Jesus to only have it crash and burn now the kingdom of God? And will we be crucified and should we run or should we stay? They locked the door. They were so fearful of 
the Jews coming to take them captive. And then came Sunday morning and the incredible resurrection of Jesus. Mary, standing at the tomb, weeping. Peter and John going back to be with the other disciples. Jesus appearing. He had to. His heart was breaking for their sorrow. She goes to tell the disciples that Jesus has risen. That he's alive, that she met him. Then there's the disciples on the way to the city of Emmaus as they're walking at dusk, talking about what has happened to Jesus. And suddenly Jesus is walking with them unrecognized, asking them, why are you so why are you so down? What's happened? Oh, you don't know what's happened in Jerusalem? Oh, tell me. So they describe for him what happened to Jesus and their hopes and their expectations. And Jesus says to them, You're so slow of heart. And he begins to expound to them the prophets from Moses all the way through, telling them about Isaiah, the prophecies of Messiah. And then they invite him to come in and stay the night with them. He does so as they sit at a meal and he takes the bread and breaks it and blesses it and passes it to them. And as he does so, they recognize that this is Jesus. And as they recognize him as Jesus, he disappears from their eyesight. They quickly go scrambling down the road in the dark now, stumbling, finding their way, until they finally come to the upper room. And they say, Jesus is alive. I'm sure that word was like a current of electricity through their being. And suddenly Jesus is standing among them. He takes some fish and a little honeycomb and he eats it so they know he's not a a spirit, he's real. They can touch him and they do. Oh, what joy. What joy. Jesus is alive. He's real. He's back. The kingdom can now be built. The Romans can now be thrown out. Jesus sends them back after a week they're there eight days and Jesus doesn't show up again eight days later he shows up I wonder what their thoughts were during this time they were afraid of the Jews they were afraid they'd be crucified that they'd be stoned to death It was a terrible time. Jesus has arisen, but he's not here. 
We're alone. Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then they take the two-day walk, three-day walk, back to Galilee. Mary, Martha, Mary of Magdala, the disciples, perhaps not all of them, at least seven of them we know, went back to Galilee. Their names are given to us in the book of John. Now Jesus has been meeting with them and he will continue to have direct contact with them for 40 days after the resurrection. Remember, Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. So they're going to have a 10-day window. But Jesus opens to them the scriptures and explains to them his mission, telling them what he was doing and what he was about and why he had to leave and why he was going to go back to the Father and that they would be his witnesses in Galilee and Judea to the uttermost parts of the earth, that he is sending them even as the Father sent him. These are fishermen. But they're going through a transformation in their hearts as they begin to understand the glory of Messiah, as they begin to understand what their mission is. Jesus comes and goes as he needs to, depending on what he knows he's needed to do in heaven. And now, Jesus comes to them in the early morning hours. Peter has said, let's go fishing. You can understand why. Peter has bills to pay. He has a wife. Others also have bills to pay, and they need to make money, and so that's what they're about. They're going to go make money. They forget about casting a line into the sea and pulling a fish out and finding a gold coin in the mouth of that fish. It was also what they were used to doing. It was their old way of life. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for fishing. He tells them, Have you have you caught anything, children? No. Cast your net on the other side and you'll catch fish. This time they caught so many fish they couldn't pull them into the boat. And the nets didn't tear as they did before. Over a hundred fish. Peter hears it's Jesus. He swims to shore and leaves the boat. This is the last time Peter's going to go fishing for fish. From now on, he'll fish for men. Jesus 
around that that fire as the fish as they're cooking the fish and as they're as they're eating the bread they're having breakfast Jesus says to Peter do you love me more than these things yes you know I love you three times to establish Peter once more and to tell him what his responsibilities are He's no longer a fisherman. He's now a fisher of of men, not of fish. And then they're told, go back to Jerusalem. Now, did Jesus walk with them? I don't know. Scriptures don't tell us. But they're told you must go back to Jerusalem and you must wait there for the promised power of the Holy Spirit, for the gift the Father's promised. And they go back to Jerusalem, to the place where they had been utterly defeated, where Jesus had been crucified. I wonder as they enter that city if they go to the place of the of the skull. I wonder if they go to the empty tomb and praise and worship the name of Jesus. Mary and Martha, Mary of Magdala, Mary the mother of Jesus, they all make the trip back to Jerusalem. And there they go into that inner room. There they go to the temple of the Lord and unashamedly proclaim that Jesus has risen and worship and praise him with loud shouts, with songs of praise. They're ignored. They have no power to attract. That won't come until the Holy Spirit comes. And 50 days later, after Jesus has ascended at Bethany into the heavens and they have seen him go, they go and wait in prayer for probably a week to 10 days. And they wait on the glory of God to come. Now we in the church today don't know about the glory of God. If the glory of God came today like it came in the New Testament church, maybe half of the church would be struck dead. And in his mercy, he doesn't come because it would be judgment. Ananias and Sapphira were stricken dead because they simply lied about their finances to the church. How many of you have lied to the church about your finances and have not paid a faithful tithe or have not given what you said you would give? How many people have even pledged money to Pilgrim's Progress and then never bothered to send the money? That's all Ananias and Sapphira did. 
It cost them their life. Why? Because the glory of God had come. The holiness of God had come into the church. And people were in awe of the glory and the holiness and the righteousness of God. And day by day, the power of the Holy Spirit swept people into this church. 3,000 when the Holy Spirit came. By the time it was a month old, the New Testament church was probably already larger than 15,000 people. The Holy Spirit was at work. The whole city knew Jesus had risen. And then Peter and John speak those incredible words to the cripple at the gate beautiful. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And they helped him to his feet, and he was healed, and danced and shouted and glorified God. The holiness of God was there. The the righteousness of God was present. The glorious presence of Almighty God had come down and met with the human heart. Now let's go back. I want to take you to Ephesians, the second chapter. I have some very specific things I need to say to you today. I want to encourage your heart and tell you the glory of God is coming. As for you, Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Remember, we spoke of this yesterday, the the sensual desires of the human heart, the lustful desires to possess, the pride of life to be somebody, to be important, to be recognized. I spoke with a man yesterday at length. He just lost his job. He didn't like some people's attitude. I don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to be treated like a kid. I'm a man. I had to tell people to shut up. Leave me alone. I said, oh, brother, you need Jesus. You're sinning against Almighty God. Well, I don't like it when people tell me what to do. Oh. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love... But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
saved always refers to you've been saved from your sin. Now listen to this, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's past tense. Have you been raised up? Have you been quickened by the Spirit? Have you been raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places, in reality? Do you know that glorious place of the holiness and righteousness of God? Have you been raised up and seated in that place? I have not yet been raised up and seated in that place. I want to read what I wrote to a friend last night as I was as I was struggling coming to terms with some issues in my life. I wrote to this friend and hath raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 1-6 We must be raised up to sit with Jesus in the Holy Spirit. We must be given this place of being one with Jesus by giving the full possession of our bodies to the Holy Spirit. He will not mix himself with ourself. He will not share my life. We must unconditionally surrender our life to him. And then a short time later, I had to text him this. What wickedness I still find in my heart. I still find myself pushing away from him rather than unconditionally surrendering I went to bed last night knowing that I could no longer push the Holy Spirit away. What do I mean? Some of you will find this to be nothing. But for me, it's everything. The Holy Spirit gently prompting me to come and read the scriptures and pray. And I say, oh no, I've got to take care of this. I've got to do that. It's time for me to walk. It's time for me to do this. It's. Wait a minute. What am I doing? I'm saying I recognize that there are times when I don't want to be very close to Jesus because it's just too threatening and I'm too frightened. And so I'd rather create some space that allows me to continue to live my own life while still confessing that he's my Lord and my Savior. So last night, I had to come to terms with this, and I did. I had a very uncomfortable night. I didn't sleep well. 
The devil attacked me with everything he had. He attacked me with thoughts of unbelief, of rebellion, uncleanness. And every time I pushed him away in the name of Jesus, and I said, I have made the ultimate decision. I belong to Jesus Christ. And my life is now hidden in him. And I will not push the Holy Spirit away ever again. I will instead invite him to take full power and full control of my heart and my life. And I'm asking him, is there a place for me to sit beside Jesus on that throne tonight, today? And I want to tell you what I've heard. There is a place for me on the throne of God to sit beside Jesus. And there's a place there for you. You can have that place if you want it. The Holy Spirit is offering it to you today. But it means if the glory of God is going to come to your life, if the holiness of God is going to come to your life, it means you must wholly and completely surrender to him. You must not push him away. You must give him total authority over your life. He will not share your body with you. You must go out that he can come in. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. This was Paul's current experience, not a future experience. This was today, and this must be today for you and for me. We must be seated with Christ in that heavenly place, in the heavenly realms. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What will God do first off when the Holy Spirit comes into our life? What's he going to do? He's going to put our whole life under cultivation. He's going to renovate and restore everything that the devil has stolen from us. Why? So that we can be very productive in the kingdom of God. So that we can do those good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at this time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who once was far away, have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, 
destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. It was his desire to reconcile the Jewish people and the Gentile people to himself through the cross. Consequently, verse 19, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God, with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Does God live in you by his spirit? I've been telling you, I've been experiencing the overshadowing presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I'm so grateful for that. I praise the name of Jesus for that. But it's not enough. I must have the Holy Spirit in all of his holiness and in all of his righteousness come and take full possession of my life. And I've asked him to please do that. And I'm expecting at any moment the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, to come into my life. This is different than being saved from your sin. This is different than being converted to Jesus. This is an absolute surrender where the Holy Spirit comes and he takes possession. He wants to take possession of your life. There is a place for you on the throne of God beside Jesus. There is a place for you. I want to read another passage of Scripture. It's found in Hebrews. Let me read this. I'll begin in chapter 10, verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. As you know, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. They can only cover sin. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He's removed the sin. The Holy Spirit testifies about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And when these have been forgiven... That is, when these have been aphemy, removed, 
There's no longer any sacrifice for sin. Why is there no longer a sacrifice? Because the sin is removed. They've been made holy. This is what we must be made holy with. The blood of Jesus Christ must cleanse and wash us. Listen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, you understand if you enter the most holy place, you die. Aaron was told, don't go in there very often. Once a year, that's it. You will die if you go in. But now, by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart that is without a heart that's cracked, without a heart that drains away the presence of God. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What is this bodies washed with pure water? What's that talking about? When a man dies, the Jewish people would wash the body and then wrap it with aloes and spices. That's what they did to prepare Christ's body for, for burial. Now, we who are going to come to Christ must have our dead bodies washed. We are crucified with Christ. Our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood, so our guilty conscience is utterly removed from us. Verse 23, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Oh, today is a day when we must gather together in the name of Jesus. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of the judgment of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished? who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There is a place for you. There's a place for you to sit at the right hand of God beside Jesus Christ. It's a place you're invited to pray about and to ask that the righteousness of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus and the Holy Spirit would be utterly revealed to you that you would have your dead body washed in pure water, that your heart would be sprinkled 
that you would enter into the Holy of Holies, for that is to be our dwelling place with Jesus. This is what the disciples experienced at Pentecost. They were raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. And now the holiness of God, the righteousness and holiness of the Holy Spirit filled the church and swept countless numbers into the kingdom of God. When we speak of revival, what we're speaking about is godly men and women who have made the ultimate decision to surrender themselves utterly, totally, and completely to Jesus and ask to be raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're talking about a people who are filled with the power of God. We're talking about a people who intimately know Jesus by the Holy Spirit. There is a way open for us through the body of Jesus into the Holy of Holies where that throne room is seated by Jesus and by the saints of God, by the apostles, the prophets. And there's room for you. But you must make the decision and totally separate from your sin. Stop playing with your sin. Get right with God. Don't resist the Holy Spirit as I have so many times in my life and thought, no, that's not really the Holy Spirit calling me to pray. It's time to fix dinner. No, it's not. It's time to get right with Jesus. It's time to hear his voice. Some of you are spending so much time doing everything else. You don't understand. If the righteousness and the holiness of God came to the church today, would you live or would you die? Are you an Ananias and Sapphira? Being dishonest with the Holy Spirit about where you stand and what you do? Have you given yourself an opening into the world to enjoy its pleasures for a season? Or have you come out? And all this week I've been calling you, come out of the world, come out of the flesh, come out of the devil, turn your back on the things of this world, turn your back on everything but Jesus. Be consumed with the love and the glory and the holiness of our mighty God. Don't go back to your sin. Don't go back to your entertainment. Don't go back to your illicit sex. Don't go back to your drugs. Turn your back on the world, the flesh, and the devil, and seek the face of Jesus and ask him, Is there a place for me beside you now on the throne of heaven? Could I sit beside you, Jesus? And he will answer yes. 
and in the spirit he will he will come in righteousness and holiness the greatest need of the american church is to experience the holiness of god but that won't happen without honest repentance that won't happen without a complete relinquishing of our agenda and our pride and our way it won't happen until we say jesus take me i'm yours it won't happen until you become a dead body crucified with christ washed in pure water filled with the spirit of god there is such a place of glory for the church today if we will but step into it it's not by accident that god has shut the church down he had to or he had to destroy it we're not going back to normal we're entering into some very rough water and as you face this time of lack of hunger of attack of every kind from the devil as you face the lies of our culture, as you face your own hurt because of racism or other ways you've been treated unjustly. My brother, my sister, don't rise up in bitterness. In Christ, we're all one. The poor man, the rich man, We're all one in Jesus Christ. So the question is, what will you do? What will you do? Lord, I've decided there's a place for me beside you on that throne of glory. And I want to sit there now And I'm asking that I be washed with pure water. I'm asking that every aspect of my heart and life would be crucified with you. I'm asking, Jesus, if you would sprinkle me with the blood. I'm asking that you would turn me away from all sin. I wait upon you, Jesus. I know you're coming. I know you're coming in power and glory and holiness. Lord, come quickly. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I need to do some housework with you. August is moving along and we're beginning to build the fund to pay for August Radio. You can be a part of that by going to nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com and up on the right hand side of your screen on your cell phone or on the internet on your computer you'll you'll see the menu and the far right hand side of that menu there's a button that says donate click on that and it will open tithe.ly 
where you can give. Now, we still have the PayPal account. Some of you are still giving on the PayPal account. But we changed to tithe.ly because of some holds that PayPal put on donations that were unjustified. So if you'd like to give to continue this broadcast on the air, please go to the upper right-hand corner, click on Donate. We'll soon have a button there for you, but we don't have that yet. And it, click on that, and it will open a page for you, and it's very simple and very easy. You can give reoccurringly or one time. You can also do it a very simple way. I'm excited about this. Get a piece of paper. Jot down this phone number. 833-824-7302. That's 833-824-7302. Text that and text the word GIVE. And it will open a very simple program on your cell phone. Put your information in, save it, and any time the Holy Spirit tells you to donate, you can do it quickly with this wonderful tithe.ly. So two ways to give, one by texting 833-824-7302 and the word give, or by going to nationalprayerchapel.com and click on the donate button up on the right-hand side. Now, tomorrow will be a day of prayer. We will give the whole time to pray. We need to pray. Some of you may need to call and confess sin. I want to read a a note I received. Thank you for your message on the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. It opened my eyes that I've been taking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm repenting for this now. And I've enclosed a check for your broadcast. I needed to hear this. Thank you for today's broadcast. A wonderful brother from the West. I'd like to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you, my brother and my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>